This is the Kyle Style Podcast, episode 61, Visions of the Apocalypse, Power Grid. Now, in previous uh, installments of Visions of the Apocalypse, we've explored the effects of uh, nuclear exchange, astral impacts, disease, uh, even... The Undead Menace. All of those stories in those, uh, explored in those episodes tend to have an element of this, this episode, this power grid failure. Now, when the hordes of the Walking Dead are outside, or there's nuclear fallout raining from the skies, the power grid being down becomes maybe a little more of an existential problem. That's an extra problem. But we're in a... Well, and if you go back to the Rise of the Machines episode, I kind of touched on this, this dependence on technology. And at a fundamental level, that technology that we're dependent upon is powered by electricity, electrical energy. And we only notice how dependent we are on this this sort of genie that we've conjured from the bottle when it fails and disappears. And there are a few, I I found a few pretty good examples. I found this concept intriguing for a long time, but I found a few pretty good examples of, uh, you know, fiction and movies and whatnot that demonstrate how how helpless we could be especially at this particular phase of human civilization when the juice stops flowing and the lights go out now something that's sort of fundamental here is the cons the entire concept of artificial lighting right we're the only creatures that make our own, uh, well, not the only creatures per se, but we're the only creatures that make artificial light in order to kind of pretend that it's still daytime. Uh, you know, you got bioluminescent creatures down in the depths of the oceans and, and whatnot, but they're just doing their, they're just doing their thing. We, as humans, created fire, right? Now, the fire helps keep you warm, it helps keep the uh, the monsters of the night away, but it also allows you extra time in the day. And that extra time, you know, you're basically extending the daylight, right? That extra time can be spent, uh, you know, working on crafts, studying, maybe creating art, um, spending time with family and friends and you know building the strength of your your tribe that is gathered around this uh, sort of artificial light that you've created it's artificial sun and this moved through time to you know more complex things like you know candles and oil lamps and that kind of thing and you know we we nearly hunted whales to extinction uh trying to squeeze the oil out of their bodies to use as uh to burn as you know, extra lighting. And this is how, this is how human beings, uh, you know, lit 
their homes and warmed them, uh, but lit their homes up with lights uh, for millennia. And up until, well, the early mid mid to, well the mid to late 1800s when the first call it spark of an electrical revolution occurred and if operates it's rather ingenious how we discovered this and how we apply it but uh in the early 1830s a man by the name of michael faraday discovered uh well it's faraday's uh Theory of electromagnetic induction, or it's a formula, actually. Uh, He discovered that uh, certain conductive metals, when moved around a magnet, uh, produces electrical current. This process was mechanized and uh, built to a bigger and bigger scale. So basically, you have something like copper uh, and copper wire moving around a magnet and it creates electrical current now that electrical current we uh well just that concept itself created an entire you know industries and created our modern way of life and when you take that current that you're generating by whatever means and you run that power down wires you can run it to light bulbs you can run it to f- telephones telegraphs uh you can run it you know, to electric motors. And you're basically turning mechanical energy, physical motion, uh, into electric current. And then the current goes down the wire to the other end where you have, say, like an electric drill plugged in. And then you're now turning that electrical energy back into mechanical energy and doing work, right? And this... Uh, this process is has become a cornerstone of modern civilization. We have various ways of generating electrical energy. Uh, we have, well, you know, we burn things, we create heat, and the heat creates steam, and the steam is pressure, and the pressure turns a turbine, but the turbine really is just an electric motor. You're turning, you know, magnets around copper or copper around magnets and creating electrical current. Some of that electrical current runs to, uh, I don't know, the electric chair in the prison. You know, good and bad. But, uh, but the electrical current is not its own source, right? You, it has to be generated by something. Uh, gravity is is pretty good. It's pretty neat. Uh, hydroelectric dams. Gravity is pulling the water down. The water is forced through, uh, you know, a turbine. Turns the turbine, generates electrical current. And even, you know, nuclear power. I, I, I feel like people don't necessarily understand nuclear power in this way. It's having this enriched uranium and it's hot (laughs) and it boils water and produces steam and the steam turns a turbine and you know i think even einstein said that nuclear energy was a hell of a way to boil water right because what you're just trying to do is you're trying to harness some other force 
and using Faraday's laws, uh, turn it into electrical current. Now, we've harnessed this in big ways and small ways, you know. This microphone I'm talking into right now is using electrical current to interpret my voice, and then the computer I'm recording it on is running off of, you know, the current from the wall, and the current coming to, well, where I live, there's a combination, I think, of probably some natural gas and uh, hydroelectric, and there's wind generators. Uh, There's a bunch of wind generators over in central Washington. I don't know how much they're contributing to the actual power grid, but but the idea is our whole civilization operates off of the uninterrupted flow of this electricity. And when there are disruptions to it, even in a even in a temporary way, even in a mild way, brownouts or, you know, uh, call it rolling blackouts where the power may go on and off throughout the day, these are you know, these are major disruptions, and people get uh, people get angry about it, right? Ah, the power's out, I can't watch my Netflix. Well, there are cases in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, these stories that I, and things that I'm going to explore here uh, are mostly confined to the United States. Other parts of the world are, in some sense, less dependent upon this continuous uh, consumption of electricity. You know, the sand bushmen are out there in Africa. The power could go out and they don't know. It doesn't, doesn't affect them at all. And other parts of the world, people just are more used to doing work themselves and that kind of thing. And they're not dependent on being entertained by all these electrical, you know, gizmos and everything that we've surrounded ourselves with in uh, the more industrialized nations. But there have been real-life cases where there have been large-scale disruptions to this continuous flow of electricity. And in a world where, you know, globally, something like 62% of our energy comes from the burning of coal and natural gas, there's like 10%, I think, was like nuclear energy, and then all the rest is wind and solar and tidal and all that stuff. So... We're looking at a world where we might have energy shortages, you know, for the foreseeable future, but that's not quite the same thing as visions of the apocalypse, where it happens to us in a catastrophic way. But, uh, so explore this in in the same fashion, we're going to step through it, um, but before we begin, you should head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design and get some of my original artwork, um, and it will get shipped to you, and you'll have my artwork in a physical form before you, in front of you, you know, like a print or a mug, something like that, and it will be there in front of you now, because you won't be able to, you know, of course, get on the internet and order it, uh, you know, later on when the power grid collapses, which will probably be tomorrow, I'm sure. Or you just go over to the GoFundMe page and throw me a couple dollars, and it'll be much appreciated, because I'm supported by listeners like you. Just like you. People just like you. Anyways. Visions of the Apocalypse. Power Grid. So, one of the original, uh, it's a neat, um, uh, 
series just in its own right, uh, James Burke's Connections series kind of explored all the various historical connections between different innovations at different times and how they facilitated one another, right? But uh, I think it was the very first episode, and it was about the New York City blackout in 1963. And it was kind of docudrama a little bit. They kind of had some little, uh, you know, little storytelling narrative aspects. But James Burke also, with his British accent, uh, explains how a little switch, like a, it's a kind of a clunky mechanical thing, uh, at a switching station in, like near Niagara Falls, uh, got overloaded, and it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It tripped itself because it sensed that there was too much current flowing down the lines. Tripped itself off. Uh. This caused the power to reroute somewhere else. Well, now there's too much power going to that other spot. So then that trips. And then it triggers a ca- a cascade of the power shutting itself down on purpose. This was by design, right? It was trying to protect itself. All the way across to the northeast, right? New York City goes goes dark. Generators kick back on. And now all the power from the generators is flowing out getting pulled to all of the surrounding areas. So that kills New York City. New York City goes completely dark. Right? And this sort of limited scale, I mean, I say limited, it's still affecting many millions of people, but it's uh, rather disruptive and chaotic because you've got planes in the sky trying to land at the airport and then gone. You can't see anything. There's no radio. There's nothing. You've got people trapped in subways underground because those run off electricity. And they don't know what's happening. Because sometimes, you know, subway trains just break down. So they go, well, we're just going to wait it out. And they don't know how long it's going to be. And... In certain cases, I mean, it, as it's, as it's shown in the in the clips, and of course I have the playlist put together for you. You know, you might be in the middle of surgery, right? You might be in the middle of birthing a baby when this uh, power outage hits. And there's something that I think most people are familiar with, which is the the temporary power outage. It's a crappy ice storm, maybe it's a windstorm, uh, maybe there's some kind of just kind of situation with uh, you know power company or whatever and the power dies and there's this background hum of noise that we've all become really familiar with it's just this ambient hum of the refrigerator uh the computers televisions your neighbor's television uh you know maybe your heating system and when the power dies there's this settling it's just like as everything turns off. And now you can no longer just magically flip a switch. You know, and you, you can't just flip the switch and have the lights come on. And for most of us in the modern era, we just kind of settle in. You know, we go, eh, well, the power will be back on. I don't have TV. I don't have internet. You know, damn. Uh, you know, you light some candles and... I don't know, you read a book, you play a game, you talk about stuff, maybe you got the, the 
battery-powered radio or whatever. You turn that on, see what's going on. Maybe the cell network is still up, right? Well, in the limited case, sure. And in the short term, sure. However, even in the 1963 blackout, it took a matter of hours before there was looting and violence. And in that looting and violence, of course, people have to try to get home. They have to, you know, they're trying to protect their their shops. They're, um, they're trying to get to safe places, that kind of thing. And everybody's just waiting for the power to come back on. Now, that blackout lasted like... Uh, I think it was like less than a day. I mean, it was like it was like hours before it was really fixed. Now you had a sort of a repeat of this, right? So we'll leave James Burke behind. I suggest watching that that uh, first episode. It's fascinating, not just for the the specific instance I'm talking about, but the whole series is fascinating. But uh, there was a, another New York City blackout in 2003. Uh, there was a Jay-Z video where he implied that he caused it. And uh, this this blackout uh, inspired a movie in 2008 called Blackout. I guess they weren't uh, being too creative. Starring, uh, well, that, that sultry vixen Zoe Saldana. And this movie portrayed... The blackout in uh, in Brooklyn, in a mostly I guess it's like mostly black part of Brooklyn, and this blackout lasted for like three days, uh, up to like five days, and you know it's a little dramatic. It's a movie, it's supposed to have a story. There's characters with different their own different struggles and everything, but. Uh, this this movie de- depicted that rather quick despair. It's one thing when it's one a couple hours. It's one thing when it's a night, maybe. Maybe it's another thing when it's a day. It's almost fun, right? Uh, people might not go into work. Uh, the kids might not go to school. And everybody's turned out. They're trying to talk to each other because there's nothing else to do. There's no more TV. So you can almost say it's all a little fun. And then it's another day. And another day. And now the batteries on the radio are running low. The batteries in the flashlight are running low. And an important thing to remember, uh, depending on your elevation and how your water is supplied to you, if you don't have water pressure, you can't get water. Yeah. And uh, toilets and and sewage systems back up because a lot of some a lot of them have to be electrically pumped. Backup generators can only last so long before power goes out, and that's when things start to get tense. If the streetlights aren't working and the police are are hamstrung because there's all this stuff going on, traffic lights don't work. Right, it's just gridlock. You know, again, subways shutting down. Well, that's when the that's when the the bullies come out. That's when the thugs come out and looting and in the darkness, maybe violence. Time for a little retribution on 
somebody because you know that there's not immediately going to be help coming, that kind of thing. You run the risk of uh, lighting candles, right? And then uh, maybe a candle starts a fire. These things happen. Got people like uh, that. That happened. That particular uh, blackout in 2003 also happened in like the middle of summer. So you might have maybe older people, and the air conditioning breaks. Now you got old people. Maybe they're kind of cooped up, and you know you run the risk of heat stroke. And there are places in the country where air conditioning is almost a matter of survival. I mean, you're in Phoenix or something like that. You know, forget about it. You got to have that AC or you might be in trouble, especially if you're maybe like a young child or an older person, you're vulnerable. So there's a real risk here to your health and to the health of your community and your neighborhood. Now, again, this this movie was a, kind of a cute uh, kind of exploration of this short term blackout, right? This uh, that there's enough opportunity for there's a it's a it's a long enough time period it's enough opportunity for there to be some uh some mischief uh some violence maybe people uh get a little romance in while the system is down right not much else to do but eventually you go well their food in the refrigerator is going bad right and there's no water pumping up to my you know apartment there's no uh Police can't come because the traffic lights are down. The stores aren't open, or if they are, they're only taking cash. Hmm. Should have thought about that, right? And so this becomes not fun anymore. And it starts to get ugly. And especially in a situation where you need to get water, clean water, and you're in the city in the middle of summer. Tensions are going to run high. Uh, potential for violence just skyrockets, right? And so I want to, I want to, I want to move forward to a much more sort of comprehensive, um, much more comprehensive demonstration of kind of what I'm talking about. It's, it was actually a National Geographic kind of docudrama they put out called American Blackout. An American Blackout depicted a uh, a cyber attack on the United States and this cyber attack was uh it was orchestrated such that it actually made transformers uh like destroy themselves like burst into flames that kind of thing and systematically just shut down the entire energy grid all across the United States and the the, the the show itself was uh, was done where it was basically a found footage kind of thing. Different people in different parts of the country all had cameras and they were recording stuff as it went down. And um, the and their personal experiences, right? And it sort of shows how their different people also had different means of keeping their cameras charged was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, a thing there. Like, oh, I've got a hand crank generator, right? So that's how they're able to keep their camera rolling. Right. And this, this, this documentary, if you got to call it a documentary, was interspersed with, uh, 
call it actual facts about how much energy is consumed in the country and um, how long backup generators tend to work for, that kind of thing. And it touched on a lot of kind of pretty accurate and intense things that you will now be paranoid about in your day-to-day life because I'm going to point them out. (laughs) Uh, Getting stuck in elevators. I think if I were calling it right, it was something like the the show said that uh, there's something like 400,000 elevators in the United States. 400,000. So if you've got one to two, three, four people in each of those elevators, you might have millions of people uh, stuck in elevators. And if an elevator is stuck between floors, that's a little bit of a problem. Hope you're not in there with any uh, claustrophobic people. You got to get in the subway problem. What do you, how long, you know, how long do you wait down in the subway thinking, well, it's going to come back on. We're gonna we're gonna get moving again, and how long would it take all the engineers and stuff to walk through the tunnel system to each train and tell everybody, hey, the power's not coming back on. We all gotta walk out of here, and now you gotta pry the doors open, I guess, and walk in the dark, I guess, uh, you know, under the city and through the New York, like say New York City subway system. Creepy tripping over rats and stuff. And things like, again, you know, airplanes. They've got to land using different systems. Hopefully they can all get down by one means or another. Hopefully there's enough backup juice to get all the planes down out of the air because they got to land sometime. But uh, you start to think about these things in terms of the fact that our our lives, our very lives, are dependent upon that continuous flow of electrical current. And it may not be you're trapped in an elevator. Think about this. How about your your medications, right? I mean, I'm not on any medications, but if you're on some kind of medication and you have to get it from the pharmacy, how do they do that? It's computerized, right? Is, can you actually have those pain relievers? I don't know. I have to check the computer. Whoops, can't check the computer. Even if I had power, the rest of the internet probably doesn't have power. And how would you pay for it? Can you pay for it with a card? Are they going to take a credit card? Uh, you know, I don't think anybody has the, like, the slidey thing, the paper thing anymore. Everything's just cards. Oh, I'll go get some cash. Well, how do you get some cash? You know, the bank gonna be open. How would they check your balance and know how much money you have? Right. So you start to see how, in some sense, everybody is kind of incredibly vulnerable with uh, the lack of this this uh, electrical grid being functioning. Think about refrigeration. Say you say you're a diabetic uh, and you have to keep your insulin refrigerated. Well, there's no refrigeration. Your insulin's going to go bad. That means, well, I don't know. Diabetes means could mean amputation. could mean stroke, uh, you know, coma. could mean anything. But you think about, uh, you know, the cell network also is powered, right? 
water system, sewage system, again, refrigeration of food, uh, and again, the gridlock that comes from the traffic signals not working, right? Now you've got emergency services getting stretched. Police got to be everywhere. You got to have people everywhere directing traffic, that kind of thing. And in this particular portrayal, again, like all the Transformers kind of all catch fire. So it's not a matter of just, oh, we need to reroute power. It's like we got to go pole to pole to pole and repair the entire, we got to rebuild the entire electrical grid without power, (laughs) right? Without electricity. And you watch these characters in this docudrama traverse through their uh, their naivete and their vulnerability to a full realization, right? It's part of what makes this an effective kind of show. And the the whole thrust of the show was the story of 10 days in this state of confusion, panic, uh, destruction. Again, you you light a candle to light the house. Oops, the candle lights the house on fire. Can you call for help? And if you can call for help, can will the fire truck come? Uh, are the fire hydrants working? Uh, and in the event of things, just little stuff, uh, you know, you get a little cut and it gets infected. Is there a hospital nearby? How do you get to the hospital? Are the roads navigable? When you get there, will they treat you? <laughs> right? How about food shipment? You take, uh, as I've heard it said, you take a city like Los Angeles. It's something like, uh, it has like a four-day food supply and technically no water source. It doesn't have its own water source. Like all of LA's water comes from like over the mountains and stuff. That all has to be pumped. Electric pumps. So you might have millions, tens of millions of people, all dependent upon, literally lifeblood, water, and food dependent upon a continuation of uh, the flow of electrical energy. And this show shows 10 days, and it may be a little exaggerated, but I don't don't know. not sure how exaggerated it is, because people start getting wacky, right, when the lights go out. And they don't come back on immediately. And there's also a lack of information, right? If the whole electrical grid went down, say coast to coast, and the internet went down, and then that also probably means that the uh, cell phone towers are down, how can you find out what's going on? Do you have a hand crank radio? Is there Are the radio stations you know, going to have generators or whatever and they're going to be able to broadcast a signal probably but you know how about in your area right and do you have one of those hand crank radios or a battery powered radio and how long does that last you got batteries in a radio to last for 10 days say right and how about your water storage right do you have 10 days worth of water on hand and how many other people do you think do as well right and this is where it starts to get dark because, well, literally dark. Uh, not literally dark, figuratively dark, symbolically dark. Because there are opportunists. 
And in the case of widespread chaos, panic, confusion, uh, information, misinformation, food, water shortage, maybe limited amounts of electricity, maybe, uh, maybe your neighbor's got solar panels. Well, you can work something out with them, or you just take their stuff. And this is the, uh, the of course, National Geographic had the uh, Doomsday Preppers show, which uh, is, is quite perfect, right? Because uh, they portray a prepper family in the show. And it's factual that you can prepare for some of these disasters, right? You can have some batteries. You can have some food or some food and water stored up. You can, I don't know, you can have a gun, right? Keep yourself safe. Your family safe. But uh, what kind of, what does it, what does it start to look like in the streets? You know, if you live in New York City, you live in Miami, you live in, you know, Dallas or Houston, Seattle, L.A., what does Vegas look like <laughs> with no power, right? And again, as with other disaster scenarios, the power going out is a, just an extra thing. But the power going out could be a major, destru- cause a major cataclysm of at least industrialized civilization, right? And in within that collapse, there's even a possibility for greater clash and conflict because imagine it's not just a cyber attack what if it was like an emp attack right so it's essentially setting off a nuclear device creates this electromagnetic wave that damages uh that damages unshielded electronics which is basically everything that's not you know military specification stuff that could affect the whole world that wouldn't just be a cyber attack on just the United States. Um, and, and I'm sure there is some fiction or something about this, but, um, so I'll, I mean, I'll hand these to you. I haven't read these, uh, because I am slacking on this episode, but, uh, just from a Wikipedia page, there looks like there's some various ones that portray different scales of something like an EMP attack. There's a novel called lights out, um, which depicts, uh, you know, ordinary people surviving after an, an EMP attack. You've got uh, One Second After from 2009, where you you follow, again, it's, it's, it's sort of like the nuclear, you know, war stuff. Uh, a lot of these disasters, it's a small town, and you see the strain that occurs uh, with these characters who are close-knit, but as resources disappear, you maybe uh, can't necessarily, you you can't trust everyone around you as it starts to become a matter of life and death, right? And so the EMP thing is used in a lot of different fiction as either some kind of a weapon or uh, an existential threat, maybe a terrorist device. But uh, in a lot of cases, they aren't necessarily like apocalyptic unless it's threatened to be apocalyptic. So um, again, I didn't dive too much into that, but there's there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of stuff out there. So uh, we're at well, moving right along here. So I wanted to get past that to get to something that's even more brutal than 
a cyber attack or, you know, obviously more brutal than a, a limited, you know, power outage. And it's a, a really great book that I always recommend to people and they usually read it and they, they're like, yeah, it was pretty cool. And it expands out into a whole series, but uh, the very first book is called Dies the Fire by S.M. Sterling. And there are critics of this book because it's a little trashy and stuff, but uh, I really like this book. I've read it a, multiple times. It's just like a really great read. And it centers around an event that's just called The Change. And the change is even deeper than just a power outage. The change is a complete shutoff of what you could call like dense energy sources. So electricity stops flowing down wires. Um, Gunpowder stops working. Explosives stop working. And at one point, they even have, like, a a steam engine hooked up. And the steam engine just won't turn faster. It it won't produce more, you know, more energy. And they're all befuddled by it, and they call it, you know, it's caused by alien space bats. They have no, there's no rhyme or reason to why it is this way. You know, of course, electricity, right? You have electrical energy in your brain, so it shouldn't, uh, you know, that would shut your brain off. But, you know, it's protected because it's inside your skull, whatever. It's a story. Anyways, due to these specific conditions, you have that typical, that that collapse of the, the fabric of society, scarcity, lack of communication, uh, lack of food supply, that kind of thing. In this particular world, it is things like, you know, plane engines just stop working and planes just fall out of the sky. Um, you've got things like, you know, if, if, if guns are an equalizer and you no longer have guns, we've now rolled society back to the Middle Ages where the larger, stronger, faster more trained, more committed to violence, can overcome everybody else, especially if they band together. And this story, I I like it because it's set in the Pacific Northwest. It's where I'm from. And these characters cope with this new reality in different ways. And there's sort of tongue-in-cheek kind of nods to Groups like the uh, SCA, which is the Society for Creative Anachronism, which are basically, it's kind of like Renfair type people. And fans of Lord of the Rings are kind of uh, referenced in here because functionally, the world is, the, the modern world's gone. Your laptop will never turn on again. And if you don't, if you can't use a gun, what do we go back to? Crossbows, bows and arrows, swords, shields armor, uh, you know, cars aren't working, right? You know, spark plugs in a car, part of what makes a car work, it's electrical energy. So you can still burn the gasoline, but you can't make an engine move. So everybody's back to horses and walking. (laughs) And again, without mechanized farming and petrochemicals, there's no way to produce enough food to feed everybody there's just no real way 
there's not necessarily enough land to efficiently produce enough food to feed everybody. Again, water. Never mind things like medicine, right? There's not enough for everybody when we don't have this massive electrically powered, you know, uh, system providing all these things for us. So what becomes uh, the focus for these characters is, well, making swords, <laughs> making swords, making armor, learning how, learning how to ride horses again, uh, learning how to hook up a, a plow horse, a plow to a horse, learning how to, well, build castles again, right? Can't have security cameras, uh, you know, you, you, you can't have long range like weaponry, really. So what do you do? Build a castle to keep out uh, people you don't like. You have to organize people together. Tra train everybody how to shoot bows and arrows, right? So the people who like that Society for Creative Anachronism thing, it's like people who know how to uh, how to fight with a sword. People who know how to shoot a bow and arrow. Maybe people who know how to work with wood or, or steel, iron, right? Metal workers. People who know about farming. Like, do you know how to farm? Like, do you have you ever uh, planted a seed and grown it to uh, completion and then eaten the product? I think I have. I think I grew some carrots once. But that's not the same thing as trying to grow enough crops and potatoes and whatnot to feed an entire village. And especially not when, once again, you have a bad element. The same group of people who want to loot and steal. When they realize that stealing TVs isn't going to help because electricity is not not coming back. You steal jewelry, maybe. Maybe you can trade with some jewelry, but you know what? You can't eat jewelry. So what's going to become the most valuable thing after a certain amount of time? Food. Food is, and this is one of the lessons in, you know, all a lot of these a lot of these apocalyptic stories, but especially in this, you know, Power Grid episode. The food, food doesn't come from a grocery store. Food comes from the ground, okay? Uh, it comes from the ground, and you either eat that, or you feed it to animals, and then you eat the animals. And we do it at such a massive scale, and it's so streamlined, in America at least, that most people will never actually slaughter an animal. No one will ever kill a chicken. They just go buy the chicken and eat the chicken. No one will ever grow corn. No one will ever grow wheat. Someone else does it. Some company does it. Agrobiz, whatever. So this connection that we have to food is that you pay money for it. There would come a time in these scarcity uh, events where there is no trading for food. This is my food. And if I don't have it, I will starve to death. And if you want to live, you might want to take it from me. And then it's up to me to oppose you. Because it might not just be me. What if it's me and my family? So those scarcity-enforced decisions start to uh, rear their ugly heads. Do you know how to make candles? <laughs> right? Do you know how to make an oil lamp? Do you know how to start a fire without a lighter? 
There's a good trick. <laughs> it's not super hard, but I wonder how many people know how to do it. Uh, but of course, this story evolves even further too because you have people who, like I said, you know, you you get tired of looting, and then you start bullying people. You form gangs, right? And then there are people who maybe think a little bigger. They become warlords, right? And then you have people who become even, they think even bigger than that. And they think, this is how the world is, and I'm going to be king. And there are models for this in our own history. In a case like this, where there's no mass communication, the only, uh, the most modern technology that still works is like a bicycle, right? You, uh, you set yourself up. If you become the strongest man, you organize better, you're more devious, you're more cunning, you say, I'm going to now become a king, and I'm going to take the reins of history and cement myself into history. Because history is now no longer which planet we're sending a space probe to. History has now become we survived, and I came out on top. So this uh, dies the fire story has a lot of neat uh, has a lot of neat dynamics due to that uh, that fact that not even guns work right, and you can't have solar panels to get power from somewhere else like those don't even work either. So it's just a complete shut off of everything electrical, and there was this show Revolution that was on TV, and I swear they were trying to make the dies of the fire. TV show, they had to have been familiar with Dies the Fire, but uh, it, it, I don't think it was that good. I didn't, I didn't really care for it too much. But uh, there's like, a, well, there's a fun thing. Where do you get a sword from, right? Well, in in uh, some parts of the world, people do this, uh, but they demonstrated in Dies the Fire that uh, you take the leaf springs off the rear end of a vehicle. They have these big metal bands that are the, you know, springs. You take those apart. There's multiple bands in one spring. You break it apart. You you heat it up. You straighten it out. Now you've got a sword blank. You carve it down. You wrap a handle on it. Boom, now you got a sword. Do you know how to use a sword? Would you be willing to use a sword? Eh, those are all questions. These are the questions that, uh, I mean, these are the challenges that our characters face in this changed world where, uh, where nothing is, uh, nothing works anymore. But anyways, that's a really fun book, and I really like it a lot. The whole series was pretty good, and I kind of recommend the whole series. But, uh, yeah, that's a a supernatural sort of uh, power outage, right? Not the same as just uh, there's a problem at the energy company, and then they fix it. (laughs) But there's... There was something that I actually saw, I think, in the last episode of Visions of the Apocalypse. I talked about the, uh, uh, or no, it was the uh, pandemic episode. Life Without Humans was this uh, other Nat Geo, I think, documentary about what what the world would be like if humans just suddenly vanished. And they touched on something that I've always found troubling ever since I first saw it. And it ties in directly with this uh, this episode, which is, you know, moving back to reality here. There are these, because we use electrical energy, 
we have these big rods of uh, of hot uh, enriched uranium. And after they're no longer efficient for generating electricity, we pull them out. Now, they're still really, really, really radioactive and they're really hot. And we throw them in these storage pools. Now, the storage pools have to have the water continuously circulating or it will boil. So if the power goes out, then it will boil. (laughs) The water will stop flowing. Now, there are backup generators and presumably people who would be tending these things would have contingency after contingency because if one of these things stops working the power of the the, the the fuel in the backup generators runs out right then that water is going to start to boil it's going to build up pressure and one of these facilities will explode and you will then have a radioactive steam cloud that will shoot geyser into the sky and spread radioactive you know radioactive waste everywhere and there are there are many of these facilities around the country so that's something that is it's very very real and in some sense it doesn't have to take a supernatural thing like and dies the fire to trigger one of these events it could just be again like 10 days is 10 days too long before one of these facilities cooks off right it uh, again points back to that that vulnerability, that vulnerability that we have, where we've become kind of hopelessly dependent on the current flowing down the wires. But it makes you uh, it makes you want to get some batteries, get a hand crank radio, uh, get some water filters, right? Maybe get yourself a gun, because this is America. Anyways. If you enjoyed this episode of the Kyle Style Podcast, head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design and pick up some of my original artwork on mugs and shirts and prints and book covers and all that good stuff. Quick, again, before the power shuts off forever, you can get it delivered to you and then you'll have it because you won't be able to get it once the lights go out. Or you head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a couple of dollars. So... We have run the gamut of all of these different apocalypses, and I really only can point to, I can really only think of like one more, maybe two, before there are no more ways that the world ends that I find at all uh, possible. So, thanks for sticking with me. Uh, We'll see what I got coming up next. I got some news kind of stuff to go over and everything else here soon. But, uh, again, trying to stick to about a week per episode. There was a big, huge thing with the election stuff recently, so I took a couple days off. But I'm going to try to get back on track here. Kyle Style Podcast. Thanks for listening. Out.